Yeah, if you have your Bible, I'd like for y'all to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50 through 58. And when you find it, would you please stand? Verse 50. I tell you this, brother, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all asleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkle of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised in perishable. And we shall be changed, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and the mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is rich. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm. Therefore, my beloved brother, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we're so thankful for your word and these precious truths that we've been looking at. Um, Lord, we're thankful for the truth of the resurrection, the promise, immortality, the promise of the perishable, putting on imperishable, being changed from the sinless state, sinful state that we now exist in into that of sinless. Lord, uh, we pray this morning as we consider the passage that was just read, that you grant understanding. Lord, open our hearts and minds to it in such a way that the reality of these things really hits home, sinks deep, so that we overflow with gratitude toward You, and so that we are motivated, motivated to live Christ-likeness in the time that we have remaining in this world, so that our Desire, our passion is to honor and glorify you in all things. And it's to that end that we ask all of these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Amen. Thank you, David. Good song. And, um, appreciate the reading, too. I uh, wanted to come back one more time. Um, to the latter verses here of uh, chapter 15 before we move on. We, we read these verses last week and, and uh, I just went over them quickly because we were focusing in on um, another part. But, uh, so I wanted to come back before we move on to chapter 16. And boy, we're, we're winding down here. We're, we're, we're about to run out of words in the book of Corinthians here, uh, coming, coming close to the end. Um, so, Lord willing, we'll, we'll get into chapter 16 uh, tonight, probably have some mention of it this morning, because all this, of course, goes together, but, but we'll, uh, we'll try to get into that tonight. 
So I want to just, again, recap briefly because there's two things going on here um, as we look at the remainder of chapter 15 and then chapter 16. First of all, in, in these verses that David just read in chapter 15, Paul is winding down his arguments concerning the resurrection. Now, as we've mentioned several times, he's, he's been going all the way through the book. He's been going issue by issue by issue, addressing problems in the Corinthian church, um, problems that they have with him, with his authority, with his teaching, and also problems of, of uh, sin, immorality that um, were, were going on in the Corinthian church. Paul is, is, um, is trying to straighten out their thinking uh, concerning some things. Now, the primary thing, and we won't, of course, have time to go back through this. We, you know, we, we've covered it uh, in pretty good detail. But the primary thing is their false idea of spirituality, what it means to be spiritual. And so that's, that's kind of been the main theme all the way through the book. And that's kind of uh, their main problem. And you get to chapter 15, and we find that they have a false concept of the resurrection. In fact, they, they, don't, they don't believe that there is a resurrection for believers. That's, that's verse 12, by the way. Uh, Paul says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So, so in this chapter, that's what's going on. He's addressing the fact that some of them say there's no resurrection of the dead. And now in the last few verses here, he's winding down his argument. And we've seen how, how he does it, the logic that he laid out. First of all, he says if there's no resurrection, then that means Christ is not raised. Now, that's not something apparently that they were wanting to deny the resurrection of Christ, the bodily resurrection of Christ, or at least um, uh, the resurrection of Christ from the dead, you know, the historicity of it. That's not something they were wanting to deny. But Paul is saying, logically, it follows. If you're going to deny the resurrection, then that means that would include Christ. He's not been raised either. And if you deny the resurrection of Christ, then His atoning work is not accomplished. So Paul says, we're still in our sins. That's a logical conclusion of the denial of the resurrection that they apparently weren't realizing, they weren't picking up on. So Paul says, first of all, Christ is not raised. That means that we're still in our sin. And that means that we have no hope. We're of all men, or of all people, the most to be pitied. And we talked about that. And that's verse 19. And and Paul is saying that because of all of the things that are being suffered by Christians in this present world. Now, that's going to be um, relevant to what we deal with this morning, too, in verse 58. So they, they, are, they are undergoing persecution in, in various forms. And, and, and some of that, you know, they were, they were um, succumbing to. I mean, they, they were changing their thinking because... Um, of the gospel being thought of as foolishness by the world. And so they were um, seeking after worldly wisdom, forsaking the gospel to some extent. So Paul says, if, if there's no resurrection, Christ is not raised, then we're still in our sins, we have no hope, and we're a pitiful bunch. If, if the only hope we have in terms of Christ and Christianity is in this world, Paul says, we're a pitiful bunch. I mean, because look at us. I mean, that's, that's kind of what he's saying. We're suffering constantly, especially the apostles. They were suffering constantly. But that's not the case. And Paul argues Christ is in fact raised from the dead. That's verse, verse uh, 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised. 
And then he goes on with the implications of that. And then as, uh, which, which means great hope for us, just to sum it up. <laughs> great hope for us. And then he goes all through uh, what we talked about last week, the nature of the resurrection. We're going to be new. We're going to be changed. It's going to be different existence. And I think this is one of the primary um, problems for the Corinthians, trying to figure out how physical bodies could inherit the kingdom of God. And Paul's answer to that, just to, just to in short, is it's because we're going to be changed. We're not going in in the same form that we are now. I think it's appropriate, and this is my own words here, but I think it, it will be appropriate, appropriate to refer to it as a physical existence, but not in perishable bodies, not in corrupted bodies. There will be a sinless physical existence. And so Paul deals with that. He talks about... Um, we were dead because we were in Adam. Now we're made alive because we're in Christ. And so our whole existence is going to be different. It's going to be of a spiritual nature and not merely... Uh, it's not going to be the natural uh, existence that we know now. It would be of a spiritual nature. Now, we come down to the verses that David just read. And Paul again shows um, the reality of the hope that is before us. I tell you this, brothers, verse 50, flesh and blood cannot enter the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit uh, the imperishable. In other words, again, the condition, the, the form that we're in now, everybody knows, everybody who's looked in a mirror lately knows that, that we're perishing. Our, our, our physical existence is, is corrupt because of sin. Well, we can't inherit the kingdom of God in this, in this present um, form that we're in. So, he says... I tell you a mystery, verse 51. We shall not all sleep. That's a euphemism for, de- for dying. In other words, he's saying we shall not all die, physical death. Uh, you, you will unless you're here when the Lord returns, right? And that's what he's referring to. He's saying everybody who's, who's actually here when Jesus returns will not experience death. But if, if the Lord doesn't return during our, li- our lifetime, then obviously we're going to face death. Everybody does. So he says, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all die or sleep, but we shall all be changed. That's that's necessary. It's going to happen at the resurrection for all those who are dead in Christ. And for all those who are alive and remain, it's going to happen at that same point in time. But instead of going through physical death, they'll just be immediately changed. Or we, if if it's us when the Lord returns, we'll just be immediately changed. So he says, we'll not all die, but we'll all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. So what he's saying is, at the last day, at the coming. Remember, last week we talked about the word parousia. just means coming, the coming of the Lord. At, at His second coming, we'll all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. That's awesome wording, isn't it? I mean, because what's, what's the problem with the dead in the first place? They perished. <laughs> they, they were perishable and they perished. But Paul says they're going to be raised imperishable. Raised to die no more. Raised to life and to die no more. Imperishable. 
And we shall be changed. So those of us who remain, we're, we're going to be changed in that moment. Also become imperishable. For this, verse 53, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable. That's a must because he's already said in verse 50, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. We're not going in in the present state that we're in. We, we've got to be changed. This perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. So the body that you, that you now um, are so familiar with, <laughs> that you're so used to um, you know, maybe breaking down or, or at least um, getting weary and that kind of thing, it's, it's going to put on immortality. The, the, the problems that we have now, the result of sin, and the product of mortality. We're perishable. You know, you see these trucks running around on the interstate sometimes have perish, perishables on the side of them. That's us. <laughs> we're, we're perishable. We're dying. We're in a state of dying, decaying, corrupting. I know that's, that's uh, very encouraging and very exciting. Everybody's, amen, amen. I know, it doesn't sound encouraging, but here's what's encouraging. Paul says we're going to be changed. That's the, that's the glory of the resurrection. We're going to be changed. We're going to be raised up from death to life. Okay? Made alive in the likeness of Christ. When we see Him, we shall be like Him, right? So, he says again, verse 53, For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. And he's actually quoting from two different places here, Isaiah um, and Hosea. Two different quotes here, uh, and, and here they are, verse 54 and 55. Death is swallowed up in victory. So Paul says, when these things happen, then shall come to pass the saying that it is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Now, he's already made the case in arguing for the resurrection that there has to be a resurrection because death has to be conquered. Christ, at, at, at the cross achieved victory over death. And we, we see that manifest in His own resurrection. On the third day, He rose again. But He conquered death for all of us. So basically what Paul is saying is that a, a necessary um, outcome of the resurrection of Jesus, the atoning work and the resurrection of Jesus, a necessary outcome of that is our own resurrection. He conquered death for us, so we must be made alive. We, we must be... Um, Change to an imperishable and immortal state. The perishable must put on imperishable. The mortal must put on immortality. And when that happens, this saying from Isaiah is going to be true, death is swallowed up in victory. That's good stuff. Death is swallowed up in victory. I mean, this is when the fullness of it... You, you said, well, just a moment ago, you said Christ conquered death at the cross. Well, He did. But the, the fullness of that is not known yet. And it, ha it hasn't become fully realized. It is not completed in its fullest sense. And again, we, we talked quite a bit about that last week. Paul said that uh, God was putting all of His enemies under the feet of Christ, and the last enemy to be put in subjection to Him or to put under His feet would be death. That's verse 26. The last enemy to be destroyed 
is death. That hasn't happened yet. It's why people still die. It's why Christians still die. Because that hasn't happened yet. But it's coming. It's coming. So death at that point is swallowed up in victory. And then he quotes from Hosea in verse 55. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I mentioned last week there's a, a, a great parallel uh, here between verse 56 and Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8. This is like a summation. Verse 56 is like a summation of Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8. He says the same thing in, in uh, of course, uh, uh, an abbreviated form. But we, we were all in Adam. We were all die. Because through one man, Adam, death came into the world and we're all infected by it. We all die. But now we're in Christ. And just as all were dead in Adam, all are made alive in Christ. So now he's, he's proclaiming the victory. Where is your sting, O death? Where is your victory? You've been swallowed up in victory yourself. The sting of death is sin. Sin produces death. But, he's saying now, that's, that has been overturned. That's been reversed by Christ. The, the effects of sin have been taken away from the redeemed. David just sang the song, the redeemed. Those whom Christ has purchased to Himself, He has delivered us from the sting of death. He has delivered us from the effects of our sin. The sting of death is sin. In other words, you sin, you die, right? The wages of sin is death. But, Paul is saying, Christ has conquered death. So for everyone who is in Christ, that is, if you, by faith in Christ, are saved, then what you have to look forward to is not eternal death, but eternal life. The sting of death is sin, but, it's, but it's, its power, its effectiveness is nullified. <clears throat> At least in terms of us. Christ, Christ took the penalty for our sin upon Himself. He paid the fullness of it. But for you and I, there's acquittal based upon what Jesus has done. So, He says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, Romans 8.1, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8 1 says, There is now therefore no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's saying, Yes, we deserve death, but we have victory over death through our Lord Jesus Christ. He has conquered death. And so. The perishable body that we, that we now still live in and exist in and deal with every day will one day, because of what Jesus has done, will one day be changed to imperishable. The mortal existence that we now know will one day be changed and our status will be immortal. Immortality. 
So, he says, therefore, all that to get here. Because here, there's the therefore. Therefore, in other words, because of all these things that I just said. Therefore, my beloved brothers, and he's wrapping up his argument again for the resurrection and starting to wind down the whole letter. And he goes into an exhortation here, and there's actually going to be another exhortation coming in chapter 16 as well. In light of all these things, therefore, three things. We're just going to break this verse down into three things, three, three uh, admonitions or exhortations that Paul gives here. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So first, he says to stand. Be firm. You can say it. Be firm. Be unshaken. It's going to be the, basically the meaning of the two terms used here. Stand. Stand. That is, um, be set. Be firm. Therefore, my beloved brothers, because of all these things, be steadfast and immovable. Now, the first point here, stand, what we're doing is taking those first two words. Steadfast. Immovable. Steadfast, again, the idea of being firm or don't move. Be established. And these are imperatives. Paul's saying, do this and keep on doing this. Don't be moved, to put it in a negative way. Be steadfast. Now, a couple ways I want to think about this. First, with this word steadfast. And I think this is how Paul's applying it to the Corinthians. In, in regard to the faith, truth, Christian truth, be firm. Be established. Steadfast. Because you think now about the content of the whole book and what, what's happening. They, they are being moved off of God-given, God-revealed, divine truth in favor of, in the case with the Corinthians, in favor of the wisdom of the world. Remember that? You go all the way back to the first couple of chapters and we find that they were, found that they were enamored with worldly wisdom and rhetoric. Skill. Oratory skill. They were dividing themselves in personality-driven schisms and laying aside and probably at least to some extent unintentionally but laying aside the truth of the gospel and Paul was calling them back this is the wisdom this is true wisdom this is the wisdom of God the message of the cross yes Paul says it's foolishness to the world what he's saying here is don't don't let that move you Stand firm. Be steadfast in God's revelation and what He has made known to us through His Word. Be firm. Immovable. That's a good word, too. (laughs) Or you could say it this way. um, Be unshaken. More the connotation of 
uh, like if you're under attack. You know, you're being assaulted. Remember that every, every kid, I guess, you know, you, 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 we don't have a lot of hills in Louisiana, but I mean, you, you, you find something, a little dirt hill or whatever, and you play king of the hill, right? And, and the objective is you got somebody at the top of the hill, and the objective for however many others you got playing, the objective is move them, right? Move them off the top of the hill, somebody else gets up there, and now you're king of the hill. That's kind of the picture. Be immovable when you're under assault. And we're constantly, we're constantly under assault. Now, we've, you've heard me say a lot of times, we, we've kind of got a, um, uh, we, generally speaking, we've kind of got it easy in the United States of America because we don't undergo the kind of persecution that other Christians do around the world. There's, there's another pastor in, in Iran right now, you've probably been seeing it in the news, who uh, they fear is going to be sentenced to death for being converted. He was a Muslim. He's a, he's a native. Um, and years ago, he was converted to Christianity. And then he, he um, apparently the Lord used him um, to start underground churches and, and so forth. And now, in terms of the Iranian government, he's being held accountable for that. And they're threatening him with the death penalty. And so, of course, his family back here asking everybody to pray and they're asking the government to do whatever they can to intercede or to intervene. I mean, there's stuff that goes on around the world and, and a lot of it we never hear about. Now, this one's all in the news, but a, a lot of it you just never hear about. So we've got it relatively easy here, but we still are bombarded every day with things that are intended to move us. That's what Satan wants to do. Knock you off balance, and then knock you down, right? So Paul is telling the Corinthians, hold fast to what is true. Hold fast to the faith. Be steadfast. That is, be firm. Stand for what is true. And it's not just the resurrection. We've seen a whole lot of issues brought up in this book. So just the body of Christian truth. Paul's had to deal with them on things like immorality. So that's what he's saying. Don't, don't be caught off guard. Don't be knocked off balance. Don't be moved from the truth and from right relationship to the Lord. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Secondly, work. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. It's interesting. I mean, he says, be, be firm, be unshaken, be busy. I know you have to be careful when you say that, but it's just busy in the right way. He's saying, be about the Father's business, essentially. Always be abounding, overflowing in the work of the Lord. Just let it fill up your life. I mean, I could take, if I had a recording of a lot of things that Ronnie said in Sunday school this morning, I could, I could fill up this point right here with a lot of things he says, what they were talking about this morning in Sunday school. Just the main thing is doing God's work, right? In everything. And there is work to be done. Remember, Paul, we just, we just read earlier in this chapter, he was defending his apostleship, and he said, uh, he referred to himself as one 
born out of a, a due time, or you, you may remember us talking about that, literally it's the idea of being stillborn or aborted. Paul says, as far as the apostles go, I was an abortion. I'm not worthy of any of this. I am what I am by the grace of God. But then he goes on to say, nevertheless, I've worked harder than all of them, the other apostles. It's interesting, isn't it? I am, but I, I am what I am by grace. And I work harder than anybody. You say, boy, Paul is confused. He don't know if it was grace or work. <laughs> no, he knows. It's grace that saved him and grace that empowered him to work. Works of grace. And that's what he's saying here to the Corinthians. Be always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, boy, we could spend a lot of time here. Let me just, let me just try to sum this up real quick because he's not giving us detail in this verse. But, um, but I don't want you to think in terms of some kind of professional aspect or, you know... Like, in fact, a lot of times when we, when we use a term like Christian ministry, which is a great term, but I think often misunderstood... When we use the term like Christian ministry, we get all these ideas about, okay, well, let's see, am, am I, should I be an evangelist? Should, should I be a pastor? Should I, be, should I work with youth? Should I do this or that? And all of those things are legit, but those are just you know, some aspects of Christian ministry. A lot, of, a lot of the ones that we don't think about, parenting, being a faithful spouse, Loving people in the community or people that we work alongside, co-workers. I think that's what Paul has in view. He's, he's not saying, look, you need to do the work of the Lord. That means, you know, um, get yourself a title, get you a ministry going, be incorporated, get a website. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying in everything that you do, be about the Lord's business. Be a godly parent. Be a godly employee. Be a godly whatever you are. Sibling, a brother or sister. Be a godly child. Be a godly whatever your vocation is. Be a godly doctor. Be a godly teacher. Whatever it is. He's saying, just fill your time up with God's work. Always keep that in view. I think that's pretty much the same thing Ronnie was saying back there in Sunday school. Earlier. You, always, you always keep that in view. Whatever you're doing, it's all about the Lord. It's all about the Lord. So always abounding in God's Word. Be busy in that sense. You know, Jesus was always busy in that sense. He was all, he, in fact, you know, we could even say in the other sense, he was busy a lot, wasn't he? But sometimes he separated himself, for example, just to pray. So that doesn't, by, by our definition, that doesn't look busy. You know, say, okay, well, he got off to the side to pray. He's going to pray all night. He's just sitting there or kneeling or laying down or whatever it is. But that's, that's abounding in the work of the Lord, isn't it? And he was always loving and helping and teaching that's what, that's what Paul's getting at. So, you stand and you work. And I know there's kind of a paradox there because 
It's almost like I'm saying, in fact, I think this is what I'm saying. It's almost like you say, you know, just stand. And then on the other hand, you know, do something. <laughs> it's, it's a paradox. Well, yeah, it is. We, we, we stand in the faith, stand firm, be established, be steadfast, immovable, and yet we're always going. Always about the Father's business. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Which primarily, by the way, is trusting Christ. Remember Jesus was asked one time about um, doing the work of God and His response was, this is the work of God, that you believe on Him whom He has sent. And then thirdly, know. K-N-O-W. Know. Or you might say be aware. Be firm, be unshaken, be busy, be aware. Stand, work, know. Know. It's an interesting thing when you... Uh, I, in fact, it's, 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 it's hard to know sometimes whether to compare or contrast um, faith and knowledge. And I can remember years ago having this revelation. You know, it seemed to me like it was. Um, it's the way things happen sometimes. And, and, I, and, and it stuck with me for a while. You know, the more I thought about it, the, the more I thought it's wrong. But, but, uh, but at first I thought it was right. And I just kind of had this, this you know, idea. What it, I was trying to define faith. What is faith? And I thought, you know, faith is knowing. Faith is knowing. And one reason, I suppose, that I came up with that was because that's the way we talk about it so often. Um, you know, you hear people talk about being saved. You know, I know that I know that I know that I know that I'm saved. And and I thought, and and I'm thinking about different things in the Bible. You know, where, you know, for example, Paul perceived that a man has faith to be healed, and so there, there's just no doubt there. He just he knows that he has faith to be healed, and then the man has faith to be healed, so there doesn't seem to be any doubt in his case, and so he knows. And you can go so far with that. There's there's some truth to that certainly. But then it doesn't always um, work out. And there does seem to be distinction here. Not, not, not separation. I'm not saying that Paul's talking about operating in, in a way other than faith. I'm just saying he's, he's just saying as part of faith, you are aware of certain things. You know. As part of faith, you know certain things. Why? Because you, faith is to trust. You trust God. You trust Christ. And so because of that, we know certain things. We just read a passage that says the perishable must put on imperishable. Mortal must put on immortality. Alright, how, how do we know that to be true? How do we know that we have that to look forward to? Because what? He said it. That's right. Because he said it. Because here it is. Black and white. And this is not, you know, this wasn't written by some mere man. This is the Word of God. So God said, yes, Paul wrote it, but, but it came from God. God said it. And we know that we can trust God, so we know His Word is true. So there are certain things we know. And here's one of them. Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And, and, uh, and I probably should 
<clears throat> spend more time on this. I'm just going to mention it. But notice, by the way, when we're talking about the work, it's, it's the work of the Lord. That little phrase there, of the Lord. And it's the same way here. Knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. So it's got to be the Lord's work that we're engaged in. And then number two, if we're going to have any assurance that we're not just spending our time in vanity, uh, again, it's got to be all about the Lord, right? In the Lord, your labor is not in vain. And Paul says, you're, you're to be aware of this. This is one reason he's, he's coming at them, telling them about the truth of the resurrection, because he wants them to live in hope, knowing that this is not all vanity. And he's speaking from experience. Here's a man who's been stoned, shipwrecked. He mentioned previously in this chapter, um, you know, fighting with beasts at Ephesus, and he's going to go on and talk about that in chapter 16, about the, uh, the um, opposition that he's dealing with in Ephesus. He's dealing with some stuff. But he lives in hope of the reality of the resurrection. And that's what He wants the Corinthians to do, and that's what He wants us to do. So you stand. Stand firm in the faith. You stand immovable against the onslaught of the world. You work. Always busy yourself in a good way. Again, I know that's probably not the best term to use, but a better one is this, abounding in the work of the Lord. Right? So you're always filling up your life with the work of the Lord. And while you're doing all of that, being aware, knowing that it's not in vain. It's not you eat and drink and tomorrow you die. No, Paul's saying. We're going to be changed. Christ is going to deliver up the kingdom to God. We're going to live with Him forever. Everything that you endure here, and of course that's again what He's doing, is encouraging them in perseverance. Everything that you endure here, you, you can endure looking forward to an eternity in a sinless existence with God. Knowing, He says, knowing. Know this. Do all of these things knowing that in the Lord, that is, in Christ, your labor, your work, is not empty. It's not empty. We've talked a lot of times about um, our purpose here, and summing it up this way. We live, as Christians, we live for the well-being of others, and for the glory of God. And what Paul is saying here is that's not an empty pursuit. You spend your life for the welfare of others for good reason. Paul said of himself, I suffer these things for the sake of the elect. He's, he's, he's knowing as he's suffering that God is bringing more people into the kingdom. And he also said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, which is far better. So he's also suffering all that he suffered, knowing that in the end, he'll be found in the presence of God. There to stay forever. That's what he wants us 
to know as well. So he's saying be firm in these things. Be unshaken. Don't be moved. Don't be distracted by the things of this world. Don't get caught up in worldly matters. Be abounding in the work of the Lord and do all of that knowing that you'll be rewarded. Great hope. Great hope belongs to believers. So you stand, you work, and you know. And speaking of stand, would you stand, please? <laughs> Literally. It's awesome to be redeemed, isn't it? Yeah, you got to live as Christ. I mean, we 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 walk with Him now. We know Him now. We enjoy His presence now. And then, what do we have to look forward to? Improved relationship with Christ. The hindrance of sin is taken away. The reality of death and the fear of death and all that comes along with that is taken away. And we're in the presence of Christ forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Great hope. Let's pray. Uh, Ronnie McCart, you mind leading us in a word of prayer? And we'll dismiss.